start recording. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, so there's a whole intro to like the podcast. So what I'm starting with, it's kind of a jumped right in, but there's an, I've already recorded that. So, um, oh, cool. okay. just so you, just, so you know, it's not going to be as like straight to you as maybe it sounds. Um, okay. <clears throat> I haven't done this in a couple of weeks. So that's Today on Unaffordable, we're talking about what role tech giants can and do play in affordable housing. Our guest is Lisa Vast, the Director of Multifamily Housing and Community Facilities at the Washington State Housing Finance Commission. Since 2019, the commission has partnered with Microsoft in the company's affordable housing initiatives. Together, the entities have won national awards for the multi-pronged strategy directly attempting to address gaps defined by the states. So Lisa, when a tech company decides to office in any area, any city, they often attract highly paid employees, some of whom relocate. um, And this can put extra demand on local housing supply, driving up costs, sometimes to the detriment of middle, low and extremely low income earners. Um, Obviously, you know, these corporations, they didn't create the affordable housing crisis, but, you know, they have intensified it in a lot of areas. So as we've seen more and more tech companies um, making these large affordable housing pledges, I would love to hear, um, you know, what that looks like in Washington state. Okay. (laughs) So as we've seen more and more tech companies making affordable housing pledges, Lisa, I'd love to hear what that looks like in Washington state specifically. Great, thank you. Um, Great to be here and appreciate the conversation. you know, Seattle and the Puget Sound region continues to be one of the most competitive markets in the country for land and real estate acquisition. And uh, job growth is far outpacing housing supply, uh, leading to a scarcity and um, affordable housing challenges. Um, According to analysis by Microsoft's data science team, from 2011 to 2020, the amount of jobs grew 30% while housing only grew 19%. And uh, you know, our last affordable housing needs study, we did actually in 2015 now. And um, you know, we did a county by county analysis showing the gaps. Uh, and uh, we are just so far behind in terms of our population growth and and the growth of affordable housing. And um, so uh, we continue to struggle with how do we um, uh, address that? Uh, And uh, our state, Washington State, um, has been very proactive in um, investing in affordable housing. Um, You know, the Housing Finance Commission uses federal resources, but uh, our state has invested lots of state capital budget dollars, as well as developed um, a handful of local tools as well. And so we we have a pretty robust affordable housing system, and still we're nowhere near keeping up with the demand. Yeah, and you mentioned those federal dollars. I know traditionally large corporations and companies invest in affordable housing through the low income housing tax credit or program or LIHTC, you know, also through syndicated funds that purchase LIHTC credits. Can you explain how that works and how the state and different housing authorities use that program? Yes, Um, each state does get an allocation of... um, 
tax credits. Uh, we also uh, have the authority to issue tax exempt bonds, which also comes with a lower form of uh, subsidy in the form of a tax credit. So there's two different tax credits uh, that we get. It's uh, the one that's a deeper subsidy is based on a per capita allocation and um, organizations like ourselves or state agencies. Um, uh, and we're kind of a quasi, we, we're an independent state agency, um, but we also have a sister agency that does a lot of housing. In some states, they're combined, um, but um, we get an allocation of tax credits. Uh, it's quite a competitive process. So we do uh, an annual allocation. Uh, we've actually uh, distributed ours geographically and so have three different geographic pools, but uh, projects compete uh, for uh, an allocation of those credits, uh, developers, uh, nonprofits or for-profits uh, or housing authorities typically uh, apply for those credits. When they're allocated a credit, they then um, need to go sell those credits uh, and investors, often banks or insurance companies, uh, but at this point really it's been mostly banks um, or other types of entities that need tax credits will purchase those tax credits and they get a 10 year benefit from that and uh, the dollars go directly into um, uh, either creating or preserving affordable housing and the developers um, own and uh, manage those housing with regulatory agreements, typically over a 30 or 40 year period. And the commission is the one that's allocating those credits and then doing the compliance and monitoring over that period of time. On the bond side, we, we get uh, what's called a, a private activity bond cap. And um, again, uh, we can issue tax exempt bonds and, and um, in our state, we're one of, <laughs> Uh, now up to 20 that are oversubscribed uh, with uh, using private activity bonds. So we've gotten much more competitive in the last couple of years, even with our bond cap program. So uh, both of those programs now are completely oversubscribed, but they do represent over like 1.5 billion in investment in affordable housing annually uh, and are, are one of the most effective tools at the federal level for um, building housing because of that private uh, public partnership and using private equity uh, to actually uh, build affordable housing. Yeah, I believe Colorado is also oversubscribed um, yes. in both areas, <laughs> both the LIHTC funds and the, the bonds, you know, but in Colorado, at least there aren't any companies or corporations. Um, sorry, but in Colorado, at least there are no tech companies or corporations that invest in those syndicated funds, um, according to our state office that tracks the data. Even though, you know, Microsoft, Apple, Amazon all have a presence in the state, of course, so do Google and Twitter, um, both of which often make local headlines with plans for expansion in Boulder. But I do know, um, at least in Washington, Microsoft started working with the commission. Um, sorry, but I do know in Washington, when Microsoft started working with the commission, they were um, investing through a syndicated fund. Then in 2019, um, the company directly purchased tax credits for a specific development, correct? That is correct. Um, at the same time, around 2019, the company pledged um, upwards of $750 million to work on innovative ways to address affordability, in, specifically in the Seattle region, um, working really closely with your housing commission. So how did that partnership start? 
Well, um, it was interesting because they made that uh, bold announcement and um, and then I, I don't know, I, I think it was within a month or two of that. Uh, we had our first meeting and um, were very curious. You know, they had done some prior uh, due diligence and consulting work uh, and uh, before they kind of launched the initiative. Uh, but uh, once they made the announcement, um, they really did start to dig in into developing some relationships. Um, and they came to us and they basically said, we want to understand the lay of the land. We want to understand what you do. Um, please share how, how your policies work, how you prioritize, what are the tensions, what are the gaps? And over a course of that next year then, um, we uh, began to uh, develop a relationship and um, share with them some of uh, the tools that we use and um, uh, how we prioritize and balance some of the tensions and explain some of the challenges and the gaps. Um, and uh, it was a very iterative and engaged process that led to identifying uh, several key initiatives. Um, so it, 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 it's, it's been, uh, a really neat opportunity to to partner and um, all along they came in really wanting to just try to understand um, the lay of the land and how they could make the most impact. Yeah, and I want to dive in a little bit more to, you know, these solutions. I know the first thing that Microsoft and, and the commission did together um, was the, the corporation extended a no fee line of credit uh, to help you unlock capital for future development. I know it's a little bit complicated, but can you explain a little bit more about how this works and why it's so helpful um, to your pursuit of, of increasing affordable housing? Yeah, thanks. We, um, because we were one of the uh, first states to be so oversubscribed in our um, bond program, uh, we followed, we were this, one of the second states following New York to uh, use a provision uh, that came out of actually the HERA legislation, which was during the Great Recession, this last recession, um, which allows us to what we call recycle cap. It's actually uh, a refunding, but but it's uh, we we call it recycling cap. So when projects uh, issue tax exempt bonds, uh, they need to make to meet what is called a fifty percent test, meaning that um, at least fifty percent of the project proceeds need to be issued with these tax exempt bonds, and then they have. Uh, basically, uh, the availability of um, automatic tax credits, uh, a less subsidy than the one that we allocate at the state level, but uh, which we call the 4% tax credit. So meaning uh, about 40% of the project, um, because that recently just got fixed, actually, which is why more states are seeing uh, an increase in demand uh, and feasibility for this tool. Um, so anyway, uh, projects need to meet this 50% test. A lot of times uh, they will um, issue bonds during the construction period to meet that. Uh, and uh, at conversion might buy down the amount of uh, bonds uh, and we can use uh, those uh, bonds that are not then long-term permanent and are just used uh, during construction uh, and at conversion, recycle those bonds into a new project. Uh, it doesn't come along with the uh, tax credit, which is a pretty 
big piece, but it does still allow us to issue tax exempt debt, uh, which is also a pretty big benefit uh, to the state. And especially when we were seeing so much uh, oversubscription and still have such a robust pipeline, we've been able to really stretch the resource. Um, we lowered, uh, you know, we're typically issuing more than 50% because, you know, as projects get through their process, if they were, if they're too close to the 50% test, uh, investors and banks are worried. So anyway, we were, um, initially issuing uh, much more than 50%, closer to 60%. So we use the recycled cap in the very beginning to just offset and lower the amount um, so that now we're uh, trying to only issue 55% uh, and even can get as low as 53% and then you know um, gap that additional um, amount with recycled bonds. But then we thought, well, what if we could do recycled only projects? And it was about that time that we started really having these discussions with Microsoft. And, and, and we also realized at that time that in order to recycle fully uh, the way other states were doing it, we needed a line of credit. And uh, although other um, states had been using maybe banks and were charging, um, Microsoft said, well, we could, you know, provide you with that kind of liquidity and, and, um, and we could do it based on just the earnings that they would get uh, from, um, from just investing those funds. So, uh, yeah, that was the first um, partnership that we uh, put in place and we ended up having uh, a national award uh, for that. And I understand now that California and Apple are doing something very similar based on what we put in place. So very exciting opportunity for us. We were kind of stuck uh, not being able to fully utilize uh, and stretch the recycled cap as much as we wanted. And this tool really has allowed us to do uh, a handful more uh, transactions than we had uh, originally thought we could. So. Yeah, I mean, and then that's so interesting that other states are starting to do it as well. I think that's the fascinating part of really looking at these solutions and their efficacy to see how it, what is working and what's not and where else it might be used. And that I know that's been one of Microsoft's big goals is to try to try to create some things that are um, being replicated or, or are capable of being replicated. So I, I know when they kind of stepped into this space, that was certainly one of the um, outcomes and goals that they were hoping to achieve. So right. really, really excited that we were able to bring attention to and, and get some recognition for what we had put together and that then folks actually kind of replicated it is obviously the, um, what's that saying about, um, you know, um, uh, flattery. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I know. Help me here. Uh, let's see. Like uh, the best. What am I trying to think? The um, kind of copying is the best form of flattery. Oh, yeah. Know. Yeah. This is one of those things that hopefully your editor will just edit out. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's OK. Here we definitely. <laughs> right. Right. But something I think about it is how... copy is the best form of flattery. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see if that makes it in. Um, right, right. Uh, yeah, I also know Microsoft has been channeling funds um, through the commission specifically to bolster your land acquisition program, um, you know, especially where 
the majority of the company's offices are based on the east side of King County. Um, you know, it's where land and development costs are are really high. And um, I know that that's been su- successful to, to some degree and that the company also just announced recently in January 2022 that they're going to be investing more in that program. Can you kind of explain what that looks like and why that's so beneficial? Yeah, that was another great like opportunity that really just evolved from them kind of understanding and hearing about gaps from the developers. I mean, when they originally came to us, they did have all kinds of data about um, the investments in Seattle and King County and specifically on the east side of King County and a clear lack of investment on on, um, East King County. We've you know, done a lot in Seattle. Um, and again, the city of Seattle has been uh, an incredible um, proponent and um, uh, investor uh, in, you know, the, the city is has had a long time public levy, publicly voted levy. And so the, the city of Seattle has, has done an amazing job of investing in affordable housing. And, uh, but the balance of King County has really lagged. Uh, and so uh, that was one of the, I think, original concerns and kind of attention getters from Microsoft that, okay, you know, we're, we know that this is one of the largest population centers in the state and, you know, wh- why isn't it more spread across the county? And so they, they did come to us specifically with kind of the intent of trying to uh, invest more on the east side of King County. Uh, and um Traditionally, yes, it has been higher land costs, and um, we have had a long-standing uh, program since about 2008, uh, a land acquisition program. Again, you know, kind of on uh, right before the recession in 2010, we had seen escalating land costs, and um our legislature uh, did have the vision. Actually, it was uh, Representative Eric Pettigrew who uh, originally created this program and seeded it with a million dollars. Uh, the commission has been able to put about $30 million into it subsequently, and it's a statewide program. And the whole point was to try to land bank and provide a uh, a fairly responsive tool for nonprofits specifically to access capital for land acquisition. Uh, Then we hit the big recession, Um, land values plummeted a little. Uh, Since 2012, clearly they've been back on the rise. Um, So we've, we've had a very successful program and they came to us and said, okay, we want to kind of replicate that on the east side. We've talked to several private developers who say one of the biggest barriers to developing on the east side of King County has been being able to acquire land. And so what would it look like uh, if we um, actually created what we're calling an expanded land acquisition program that focuses on the east side that is Microsoft money? Um, We uh, quickly uh, used uh, what we had for initial capital and uh, with several developers in the pipeline and some additional properties, they increased that line. So um, we're up to 75 million. We've purchased three properties uh, in the past year and have two more that we're looking at. So yeah, it's it's uh, clearly been uh, a big catalyst for engaging developers and, uh, you know, will be the start of really creating a pipeline for affordable housing on the east side of King County. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know 
also, I mean, Microsoft really has done a lot with this pledge. They, you know, they kind of have investments in several different ideas and solutions. Um, what else have they done either with the commission? And I know they've also worked on some other projects, you know, outside of their partnership with you. Yeah, so um, there's one other um, project that they've partnered with us on, and that's also with the Seattle Foundation, and that's called the Evergreen Impact uh, Housing Fund. And that, again, uh, was uh, uh, something that we seeded with um, credit unions in the Puget Sound, but then uh, Microsoft came in and also pledged money to a fund that would help, again, with uh, gapping uh, projects uh, in the Seattle King County area. Uh, with private equity. Um, and that's been exciting. We've done three projects now um, with the Evergreen Impact Housing Fund. But then, yes, Microsoft has, again, you know, when they were doing kind of the scan, uh, I know they've worked with some housing authorities, uh, Renton Housing Authority specifically, but uh, I think also partnered with King County Housing Authority and uh, have done a handful of really creative financings on that uh, middle income, you know, up to 120%, you know, our sweet spot at the Housing Finance Commission is basically 60% and below as it relates to the multifamily rental side. But uh, they've been really working on some really interesting models with trying to do governmental bonds um, that the housing authorities can actually issue and then gapping uh, and providing housing up to 120% in that multifamily area. But then they've also been working um, with some of their philanthropy money, uh, with um, our, uh, we, we were establishing a new uh, regional homeless coalition and um, have done uh, a handful of, of uh, grants with uh, homeless, totally focused on serving homeless populations. So they've really uh, have come in and, and taken a full kind of spectrum, looked at the full continuum of the housing needs and have been investing from uh, the homeless to up to 120%. So yeah, they've done a handful of additional initiatives uh, addressing kind of the full continuum of needs in this Puget Sound region. Yeah, and that 120% or 60%, that, that refers to the area media income. Yes, it's kind thank of how you, you, thank you. No, no, that's okay. <laughs> it's kind of how you um, measure um, of who, who qualifies for affordable housing and what tier correct? Exactly. Right. Thank you. Yeah. That's okay. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it does sound like they're, you know, the company is doing a lot. I know in researching affordable housing initiatives of other tech companies in other regions, there have been some significant limitations to their contributions as well. Um, whether it's simply time it takes to get projects together or in a lot of cases running into issues with local zoning policies maybe. Um, separate from their work with you, Microsoft has also done some policy work, correct? Trying to change some of these policies to make affordable housing in general uh, easier to, to get built. Yes, I, they've been very active uh, with East King County cities. I mean, you know, par part of, again, what uh, I think they heard um, as they kind of did the scan and talked with developers was, yeah, some of the um, ongoing challenges uh, that some of the local level uh, jurisdictions have in terms of permitting and zoning and uh, land use design and development issues. And so um, I know they've been very active with working. We, we have what's called a, a 
regional coalition um, arch uh, on on the east side of King County, which is kind of a consortium of the east side uh, cities. And so I know they've worked with arch, but then as well, individual cities on really trying to understand, you know, some of those challenges and barriers and, and trying to uh, work with them to see what could be done to address those. Uh, one of the aspects of the ELAP program, um, again, our ex expanded land acquisition program with Microsoft is a discounted interest rate if you in fact uh, can make some policy changes at the local level. Um, so trying to incentivize, uh, you know, a broader uh, group of people to be working on those issues, you know, including the developers, um, and if they can uh, make some um, headway at the local level, they can get a discount on the interest rate. So um, even trying to incentivize the developers. So beyond, you know, their own work at trying to work directly with uh, these cities, uh, they've tried to build in an aspect of that uh, with the uh, ELAP program as well. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, that quote that we were trying to think of earlier is imitation is the greatest form of flattery. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> I did find it. And, you know, since Microsoft made its pledge in 2019, they really were kind of the first. Several other companies um, have done the same, Apple, Google, Facebook, you know, mostly in the Bay Area, but also Amazon, which is headquartered in Washington as well. Um, are you working directly with any other large corporations, um, specifically in the tech industry? You know, and are you hopeful these investments will be able to push the needle on affordable housing? Yeah, well, I, um, I my perspective is all hands on deck. Um, and as much as we can, you know, I, I, you know, clearly over time, the market has not responded to um, the full needs of housing uh, the most vulnerable and lowest income populations. Um, you know, clearly the market, you know, has catered to where they can make a profit and, and, and a large uh, part of the population that can afford uh, bigger homes or uh, even, you know, uh, in higher cost areas, you know, that kind of higher end uh, marketplace. But, you know, there's clearly been this gap as it relates to the market filling in uh, on providing, you know, housing mostly to the most vulnerable, but now we're even seeing, given kind of this influx, I think, of, of these tech companies and ju just the economics, and like I mentioned before, kind of how much job growth is versus housing affordability, even in that middle-income space. So, I mean, it's been fascinating to see the tech companies stepping in. Um, from my perspective, all hands on deck. We, we can't do enough to try to solve this crisis at this point. And I really appreciate, you know, the, the movement of more corporate responsibility around uh, trying to address this issue. Um, having said that, you know, it is real estate. It's a complex uh, situation in terms of, you know, the multifaceted levels of financing that it takes to get these things done and, um, you know, 
you know, we've just recently had a concrete strike. I, I, I mean, you think about, you know, the, the construction workers and um, the materials issues and the supply chain issues we've had during COVID and, um, and, you know, just what it takes to meet the local zoning and permitting process. I mean, it, it is a complex system. And so to the extent that we can be more coordinated and collaborative, I, I, it makes a huge difference. Having said that, uh, we are not working directly with anyone else other than Microsoft. We, we have been in some initial conversations with Amazon. Amazon you know, has, has done some work with Sound Transit um, and we are working with Sound Transit as well to try to coordinate, but it is already this kind of multi-leveled, multi-tiered, you know, um, we've got state, local, federal, bank, investor. I, you know, there's at least five to 10 parties at the table already. And so to the extent that we can be working together, that we don't reinvent the wheel, that we, you know, try to understand the existing systems and although you know at times they may not be working and you know we haven't even talked about the race and social justice aspects of all of this right i mean we we and i don't know if you want me to digress into this now but um i you know, sure that works yeah i mean there's clearly been some uh systematic challenges to equity, especially in the housing. I mean, there's, you know, long since been documented, be, be, you know, between redlining and, I, I, you know, the, the housing industry and, and the whole, you know, system that's been put in place is clearly been racist, has clearly been inequitable. Um, you know, we, we at the commission are, are you know, trying to pivot as, as much as we can most recently, but, you know, really, unfortunately, we're not as uh, in tuned with kind of this systematic, um, you know, discrimination um, that's, that's been happening. So we, we really, I mean, there, it's just such a big systems piece that needs to be addressed on so many different levels and, 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 Clearly now, I think we're in a much better space to overlay some race and social justice lens around how we're doing business, but, but there's this whole system in place, right? So, so you get, you know, corporate folks trying to overlay programs, you know, and, and, uh, and, and, it's just a very complex system. So, so how do we kind of bring in those um, players? How do we bring in that money in a way that doesn't perpetuate <laughs> a system that's uh, maybe not working so well, but but at least you know um, uh, can coordinate and collaborate on ways to do it better together, as opposed to just having kind of a whole separate track. So that's one of the challenges, I think, as we see some of these entrants into the system, you know, trying to figure out how, how do we, how do we all work together uh, to make it a little more streamlined? Um, because I think, you know, this is part of it, like, we see so many people on the streets, it's, takes you know two to six years to really get one of these developments off the ground sometimes and um and so yeah how do we streamline the process how do we coordinate how, how do we lay an equity 
lens over all of it so that we are really, um, you know, folks who have traditionally not been able to access can access, you know, all these things are, is work that still really needs to get done. And so, you know, how do we do that? We, you know, when we bring in, you know, additional corporate dollars is, is another big piece of this. Yeah. And I'm sure that's also all going to be changing as we hopefully soon start emerging from the pandemic and, you know, work life has changed for a lot of people. Housing costs are going up. I'm sure that's going to bring a lot more challenges potentially as we move into the future as well. Yeah. I am so curious. Um, uh, how, how do we come out of this and how does it change maybe the housing needs, right? I mean, if we don't end up having as much of a footprint, you know, does, does that change kind of the paradigm on, on what housing needs look like? And, um, does it, you know, the, the impact that some of these tech companies have had by coming in and having these big corporate headquarters and, and potentially displacing people of color, displacing uh, communities that have traditionally lived in certain areas are getting pushed out because uh, of kind of the footprints. You know, what, what does it mean if we are all working more virtually, if, if, if the nature of our housing needs change? Uh, and, you know, again, I, you know, one of the things that's been so uh, fun about working with Microsoft is the data piece that they bring to the table. They've got access to all kinds of tools, right? <laughs> and, and, um, and data. And so, yeah, what does it look like in the future coming out of this whole thing? Does, does, do things change a bit? And does that ease the affordable housing burden or, or yeah, does it just exasperate it? I, I guess in terms of, you know, yeah. What does it look like when we're, you know, are we all coming back to the office? And so, you know, we just put on hold for a couple of years, what was kind of this trend or, yeah, how, how do things evolve from here? Um, and, and, and how can we leverage these resources and, and work together to, to really solve this issue? Yeah, well, thanks, Lisa. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us about you know, some of these solutions and also the challenges and questions that are left unanswered. Um, I really appreciate your perspective. Thank you. Thanks uh, to the Boulder Weekly for uh, really engaging in this topic. It's, it's pretty exciting, the, um, the series that you put together. So thank you for uh, focusing on it. Well, thanks. You're listening to Unaffordable, a podcast collaboration between Boulder Weekly and KGNU. I'm Angela K. Evans. Okay. <laughs> That's all. Awesome. Thanks, Lisa. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate it. That was great. And um, yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um, especially just with where you're at with your eye surgery and stuff. I really appreciate you taking yeah, this no, time. I, I, I mean, it felt like this was one of those things, like I can't read that well. And it was like, you know what, maybe I can just do something like this. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. And I, I, I talked to an interesting master's student yesterday who's doing this whole thing on tech stuff too, out of Harvard. Oh, interesting. <laughs> I know. I told so her to I told her to look you up because I was like, oh, I'm doing this thing tomorrow on tech stuff too. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Well, thanks so, for that. Yeah, I've been trying to kind of fill in my time with stuff like this yeah. where I don't have to be looking. I can just be yeah. thinking and talking. <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> so, makes sense. Yeah. Well, once we release the episode, I'll make sure to send it to you and also send it to Margaret. I mean, Thank it is, you. we're doing it with a community radio station. So awesome. it's, it's probably more Margaret's um, realm, but 
it's free to use. So like if there's radio stations in your area or in your state that want to use it, um, that's available too. So that's great. Yeah, yeah. no, um, thank you. Yeah. All right. Well, um, enjoy your weekend and thanks again. Thanks. I'll, I'll let you know when this is released and send you a link. Great. Thanks, Angela. Okay. Bye, Lisa. Bye-bye. You're listening to Unaffordable, a podcast collaboration between Boulder Weekly and KGNU. I'm Angela K. Evans. Today, we're talking to Lisa Vask, the Director of Multifamily Housing and Community Facilities at the Washington State Housing Finance Commission, which works closely with Microsoft on its affordable housing strategy. You've been listening to Unaffordable. I'm Angela K. Evans. Today, our guest was Lisa Vask, who works with the Washington State Housing Finance Commission and Microsoft as they attempt to you've been listening to unaffordable i'm angela k evans today our guest was lisa vask who works at the washington state housing finance commission in partnership with microsoft on its affordable housing strategy this podcast is a collaboration between boulder weekly and kgnu subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and don't miss an episode